subscribe to Tripod Talk Radio for conversations with veterinarians, oncologists, rehab therapists, and other experts discussing amputation for dogs and cats. Find more info, helpful care tips, and a free gift at tripods.com slash radio. Thank you for tuning in to Tripod Talk Radio, where we're spreading the word that it's better to hop on three legs than limp on four. Hosted by Jim and Renee and Wyatt Ray of the Tripod's blogs community at tripods.com. Jerry's Place for canine amputees and their people. This is Tripod Talk Radio, and today is Thursday, March 30th, 2017. We have an informative program for you today addressing one of the most common questions we get from new Tripods members. We're going to be talking about prosthetics and partial amputation in dogs. But first, real quick, I want to take just a moment to remind listeners about the Tripods Rescue Fund, a program of the Tripods Foundation that will reimburse the adoption fee for anyone who rescues a three-legged dog or cat from an animal shelter. Learn more at tripet slash trirescue. And spread the word. The Tripods Rescue Fund is made possible by Carbach Brewing, makers of Three-Legged Lab. Read, read all about this fine stout and its namesake, Molly, at carbachbrewing.com. You know, a couple of years ago, we had the honor of interviewing Dr. Felix Duer from Colorado State University's Small Animal Sports Medicine and Rehabilitation Program. You can watch our complete video series at tripods.com slash tag slash CSU dash ortho. Today we are honored to have Dr. Dewar back with us today to discuss the work he is doing at CSU in the evaluation of partial amputation in dogs, a clinical study that examines how partial amputee tripods cope with artificial limbs. Dr. Dewar, thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Hey there, how are you doing? Hey, Dr. Doerr, we're doing great. This is Renee. We really appreciate you taking time out of your day to be here. Good to talk to you again. Yeah, really. Well, you know, your name came up when we were at the Western Veterinary Conference uh, in Las Vegas a few weeks ago because uh, a, a gentleman walked up to us and said, my dog is in a prosthetic study. And I, I said, really, tell me more about it. And when he did, I said, I know that guy. I know Dr. Doer. So, so um, this is super exciting, and I, I just can't wait to hear more about it. Let's just jump in and, and tell me, tell me um, about the study and what, what brought this on. What made you want to do it? Well, I, when we talked, I think this was now a couple of years ago, um, you know, you ask a lot of questions and, and I couldn't really answer them. So it was like, well, well, do they do with it? And uh, what level of amputation is acceptable? So where can we uh, get a prosthetic that works at that level of amputation and those type of questions? And um, yeah, we want to answer some of those questions because as you know, in, in, small animals, there's still the saying that dogs are born with three legs and a spare. And I know you know this, and probably a lot of your listeners know this as well, 
that um, over time, there's a lot of um, issues that come up uh, regarding the other joints, so more arthritis and ligament injuries and all sorts of things. So, um, you know, we're trying to put some evidence behind the idea of, hey, they are actually better off with four legs and then figuring out, well, can we make this happen? Oh, that that is so exciting. And and I would totally agree with, with that statement about, yeah, we do see a lot of issues over time. I have friends with tripods whose dogs have been on three legs for a number of years, and now that the dogs are older, um, they're seeing a lot of issues that four-legged dogs don't have. Um, so so we really appreciate you doing this because we're all, we're all going to learn from it and help our dogs live better lives. Um, so the study is, is currently happening at, at Colorado State right now, correct? Yeah, that's correct, yeah. Okay, so um, tell me um, about the dogs who are and are not eligible and, and good candidates for this study. Does their age matter? Does their weight matter? Who, what kind of dogs do you look for when you, when you select the ones for this, this study? Yeah, weight matters to some degree, um, and breed matters as well. So there is a little bit of a limitation on what we can do as far as getting the prosthetics to stay attached when we have dogs that have uh, that are overweight and they have very little um, humerus to hold on to. So, you know, if you picture like a bulldog, it's very hard to get a prosthetic to stay on for these dogs. Um so ah. usually the best candidates are um, you know, somewhat like uh, labs, that type of thing. They, you know, their 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 humerus extends up quite uh, a lot higher. We can get a little bit better what we call suspension. So that's probably the biggest battle we've been fighting is to, you know, in people they use a lot of suction prosthetics, so it's much easier. But since our friends have fur, it's very difficult to make it uh, attach via suction. So that's why what mm-hmm. we need to use is we need to use some kind of bony prominences. The more lower on the lag the problem is, the better. And as far as uh, health, yeah, we, we are trying to um, make sure that they are um, healthy to the point that they have at least a year of life expectancy. So, you know, some cancers, unfortunately, have very poor prognosis. And uh, we, um, you know, it sometimes takes some time to get them used to the prosthetic. So we'd like to enroll dogs where we think that they at least are expected to live another year. So that uh, that pretty much would eliminate um, dogs who have been diagnosed with osteosarcoma? Not not 100% that we actually have enrolled a couple of dogs with osteosarcoma just when they are going on chemotherapy. Um, you know, nowadays mm-hmm. we're kind of hoping that we get to about a year. And, and, and truthfully, our goal is to kind of get some pilot data where we learn something from and then expand that into a larger study. So we're trying to get some uh, more funding for a larger study. And just this one is basically just a proof of concept that we can get those prosthetics to work in in dogs, and then we can basically make this happen. Oh, my gosh, that that is really cool. Um, I'm I'm glad to hear that that even the the osteodogs can be considered. so, so tell me, how, how quickly can a dog get admitted into the study? Uh, for example, if a dog was in a car accident and they needed amputation right away, um, how soon before your team would look at their situation and say, you're in the study? 
Well, I think that we can admit them pretty quickly, like literally tomorrow. But the problem is that um, there's a lot of visits that are required for it so that we can figure out, um, you know, that we can get our data, how well they're using the lag. So we're using a, um, a, a doggy Fitbit, uh, so an accelerometer on the dog itself. Uh-huh. And then we also have one on the prosthetic so that we can actually objectively tell how often did the dog wear this um, prosthetic so that uh-huh. we know, hey, how are they? How are they doing? Because obviously, you know, uh, having a prosthetic is nice, um, but if it's only used for a few minutes a day, then is that really worth the effort? What we're hoping for is that, um, you know, these dogs are after some time using it the majority of the day. So, um, and then we also do objective gait analysis, uh, so we see how much weight are they actually putting on it, and then the rehabilitation that's uh, required afterwards to get them to use the leg is also um, included in that study. So. Um, we, uh, you know, we really are looking for dogs that are living somewhere in the Fort Collins area. Fort Collins, Denver, we have one dog enrolled that's from a little further away where the owners are very dedicated and they're coming down for the visits. But it, it's a little bit, it's a, it's a lot of visits, so it's harder for people that are living further away. Mm, yeah, that totally makes sense, and, and I did uh, when I asked you that, so yeah, to clarify it for dogs. Yeah, who are in the immediate vicinity of CSU. So would you say, like, as far as um, Colorado Springs and Laramie, would you consider those dogs up and down I-25? Absolutely. I mean, we don't, you know, if if people are willing to drive, I mean, as long as they're willing to do the rechecks, it's, um, you know, it's it's just a matter of are, are they wanting to do this. So I think it's up to the, up to mm-hmm. the owner, really, if they, want to, if they want to take the time to do oh. that, yeah. Okay. And so, so once the dog gets uh, accepted into the study, um, how do they? What are the parameters for staying in in the study and not getting kicked out? Like, what what are some circumstances that might um, eliminate a dog from the trial? Well, so we had one that um, didn't uh, wear his prosthetic, so he kept on uh, shaking it off. And so mm. uh, that dog, you know, but it's not that he's eliminated from the trial. I think, um, you know, we still use that data because that's important information as well, right? That dog had an amputation just mid-radius, uh, so maybe that is a little bit too high. And it was also a small ah. border collie, a little bit more stubby legs. So we, we don't really, um, all the dogs that are enrolled, they are part of the trial. And um, even mm. if things don't work out, we still want to know this, right? Because that's what mm-hmm. everybody wants to know is this an option for my dog? What are the chances of it working? And, you know, even if it's not working, I think that's still very useful data. So that's what we have to figure out. What are the indications? Um, to which level can you amputate a leg and then still be successful at attaching the prosthetic? That that would be really great to hear because let's say, for example, you, you only have a, a little bit of stump, but it's kind of questionable whether or not, I mean, uh, uh, whether or not a prosthetic will work. Um, after your study, you'll be able to tell people, well, this study said that a dog with this much limb left will, will be a good candidate. I mean, we have something to point people to now, correct? Well, yes and no. The problem is that um, we, you know, every breed is different. There's, you know, a lot of different levels of amputation. So this is a quite expensive study, as you can imagine, with a prosthetic, the rehabilitation mm-hmm. and all that. So unfortunately, I think the data we're getting will be pretty limited because 
um, you know, we'll have maybe two dogs that are at the level of the carpus and two that are mid-radius. And just because one dog didn't mm. work, I wouldn't say that you can say, hey, that doesn't work. So I think really the goal is uh, for us to, um, you know, get some what we call pilot data. So like, an, you know, just an initial, uh, you know, number of dogs where you say, hey, and some it worked and some it didn't work. Now well, the next step is to figure out uh, for which dogs exactly does it work and for which ones does it not work. So um, uh, I think that that this will be just the start of this, but hopefully this okay. will excite people to um, get us more funding and, and support this research, and then maybe other people will continue something along those lines as well. And then over time, we'll we'll find out the answers to the questions that you're you're asking. Yeah. Oh, that would be that would be really cool. Um, you are you the first institution that's actually doing a study like this? Well, I can tell you there there is no published research on these type of prosthetics. There is research on um, the prosthetics that you attach to the bone, so where you have an implant that goes into the bone and then a part of it sticks out through the skin. There mm-hmm. have been some studies on that, but there hasn't been anything with these prosthetics. And um, I don't know if anybody else is working on it. I've, I've been talking about it a lot at conferences. And I haven't uh, talked to anybody that said, yeah, we're doing a similar study. But, it, you know, there's no way to really know that maybe somebody else is. And honestly, I hope that somebody else is because the more people that are researching it, the better, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so so tell me, um, OrthoPets is, is closely involved with this with this um, study. So tell me, what, what exactly are they, are they doing for it? Um, they're creating the, the devices. How, how extensive is their involvement? Yeah, so we um, this is a, a collaboration that started uh, way before I started at CSU. One of our previous surgeons asked um, orthopeds, specifically Martin Kaufman, who's the founder of that company, asked him to come by and, and see if he can help us with some of these dogs that we don't really have a solution for. And so um, they are basically at CSU at least, you know, twice a month. And um, what what they do is they then they will uh, take a mold for, of the limb. I mean, we we do take the molds as well, but for these study cases, we always try to get Martin to be there so that we make sure it's 100% perfect and he knows exactly how the dog looks like. And then they'll make the device. And then, um, you know, we do adjust these, uh, you know, from time to time and have to make little tweaks and, so we really we talk with Martin about all of those things, and and then particularly when we have dogs that don't do as well, so where they uh, where they uh, slip off the device, then we try to solve that. So we have one dog where we came up with a, uh, a vest that we can use to keep it attached. So those are the types of conversations that we have, and and it's great to have them close by because I think a lot of this is actually you have to see it, and it's kind of hard to. Uh, do that via video. So we're pretty fortunate that we're close to somebody that makes those. Yeah, and not just somebody. I mean, I mean, we love orthopeds. We think they are the the cat's pajamas, and they are they are pretty cool. Um, so, so what you're saying is that um, the device types will vary between uh, dogs. It it really depends on on how their assessment comes out and what their needs are. Yeah, absolutely. I think all of those, and this is probably a key of of, of this whole. Um, prosthetics in, in dogs, I think they're all custom-made. And every, you know, for example, a dog that we currently are fostering has a little bit of carpus left. And, and that dog, you need to really see how do you work with what's remaining there to make it pain-free, 
Sometimes there's a little bit of a bone spur so that you may not want to push on with your device when they're uh, walking on it. So I think those devices, they really they have to be custom made and they have to be molded particularly for each patient. And every patient is a little bit different, uh, you know, how they rotate the leg. So, I mean, this is literally uh, the, you know, this is my first real experience where we see the dogs on a regular basis and we're learning so much. I think this is not a simple task uh, and I think it will be a huge learning curve for red name medicine. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, so, so tell me when, when they're in the program and in, in the study, how much training and rehab therapy is provided to them? Because I know that um, when we talked to orthopeds, they said there's at least a few months of, of getting used to the device. Um, how often do they, they go back to CSU? How long are the sessions and, and what do the sessions look like? Yeah, so I think it's a it's a great question, and, and the answer is that really depends on each patient, too. I think some of those, I, I think they all benefit from rehab to get used to, hey, this is actually part of my leg. I can actually move this and to realize where is it. So a lot of what these sessions include is things like stepping over objects and maneuvering that and figuring out, hey, you know, this is a little bit longer than what I was used to. If they are congenital uh, or if they are post-amputation, then we have to initially deal with the um, with the post-surgery um, pain and, and sometimes uh, formation of, of seromas and all those things. So once they are past that stage, I think then if the dog's doing well, you know, it can be as little as twice a month. But it can also be that they have to come multiple times a week. So when we when we have issues uh, of them not using it, then it becomes a lot more com- complicated. Okay, okay. This is this is really a, an individualized thing. This is it's amazing what you guys are doing for every dog. Um, how many how many are you shooting for? How many dogs will be in the study overall? How many are in it right now? Well, we're shooting for 12 dogs, and we have, okay. I think we have seven right now. Oh, okay, okay. Well, hopefully we can find some more for you, because I know we have a, a lot of members in the vicinity. Um, I'm, I'm really curious, this, this question popped into my head, and, and I know you may not be able to answer it, but I'm, I'm really curious to find out if, based on what you've seen so far, just on your observations, do the dogs who have been amputees for a while tend to do better or a little bit worse when they first put that artificial leg on? Um, I, you know, and again, I think I have to kind of um, phrase that carefully because it's very limited, the amount of uh, experience we have with that. But the dogs that we have seen that have had, like one of them I can think of, I don't really know how long she has been living with this partial limb, but um, she definitely um, has had that for a long time, and and she is uh, from a, a golden retriever freedom rescue, and uh, we enrolled her in the study and 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 did a uh, device for her, and I mean she just from the first day was doing amazing with it. It took her a little bit to be like, oh, what's that? But I mean now you can see a huge difference, and I mm-hmm. I, I think that it depends for her. I think it's the uh, part that helps her a lot is that it's uh, the amputation is uh, quite low, so she has a lot of remaining leg. And then also, I think her other legs are quite arthritic, so she really likes the um, idea of putting mm. some weight on that leg. So 
versus a dog that has three good legs and the amputation is higher and um, has been used to that, that might be a little bit harder. So I think it, um, I, I definitely don't think, based on what we've seen, that if a dog hasn't, has had a, a, an amputation for a while, that that excludes them from doing well on prosthetics. Oh, that's really good to hear. That is really nice. Um, what about uh, really young dogs, like under a year? Are you accepting any of those into the study? Yeah, you get great question. So that's actually one of the things that while <laughs> doing the study we had to work through because we actually have a case, Jim Shepard, that um, is exactly in that scenario. Um, and um, we did enroll that dog um, with the idea of making a temporary prosthetic, so something a little bit easier. And then uh, when mm-hmm. she's fully grown, we'll do a real prosthetic for her. So um, I think we, uh, you know, we we wanted to just kind of see how how will this work? Is it possible if we do a temporary prosthetic that we encourage her to use that? Because I think that's actually mm-hmm. one of the things. If they're that young, it might be easier to get them to use it earlier in their in their mm-hmm. in in their lives rather than when they're you know if you wait a few months, they might be so used to it just walking on three legs that it might be harder for them because their other joints are quite normal and they're young and puppies and you know crazy so. They might they mm-hmm. they might not do as well, but I don't know that. But that's why we enrolled that dog because we wanted to find out. Hey, how about exactly that question? How about puppies? If if you know they're still growing. Oh, that is so exciting! I, gosh, I'm just so excited about this. Um, so, uh, getting back to the part about the the training and the and the rehab, I forgot to ask you. Um, how much does how much of a role does the owner play in the dog's acceptance? I mean, obviously they have to put it on and off, but once they do, is it a matter of just watching your dog walk around the house all day and see how it, see how it does? Or does the owner have a considerable amount of homework that you guys assign once they, they get home? Yeah. I, and I think that uh, this is another one of those where depending on how well the dog is doing, um, you know, it might be actually quite a lot. So we do give them home exercises to do. And, you know, those cavalettis are easy to make at home. And that can be quite helpful. And Now, if the dogs are doing well, I think some owners, they, they don't do very much at home. Uh, but um, mm-hmm. I think it is something that is easily, you know, if owners are into it, um, the more you do of these exercises, the better. And the other part that you mentioned and that I think is important to realize is the putting it on and taking it off you know, there is a little bit of, um, you know, there's, there's a little bit of uh, finesse involved with that, like making sure that you get it exactly to the right level, uh, making sure that it's comfortable when you when you put it on. Um, so I think it is a little bit of a learning curve, and some people have an easier mm-hmm. time with that than others. And, you know, some dogs are a little bit easier. They, they don't have to be as tight, a little bit easier to put on than others. So I think there is a little bit of a... Um, you know, a, a little bit of a hesitation from some owners, depending on, um, you know, uh, how often we show them. We sometimes see that they are not quite put on correctly, and then it requires a few times for us to be around. And then when people get comfortable with it, it's like putting on your own shoes. But in the beginning, you know, there's a little bit of a, a learning curve for sure. And so that's part of that initial learning for the owners and the participation. So you're not just training the dogs, you're training the people too. <laughs> <laughs> to, a, to some a degree, lot of yeah. work. <laughs> yeah, well, at least definitely. the people I mean, we can I... talk to them. <laughs> you know, the dogs right. are a little bit more difficult. <laughs> <laughs> we have to show them. <laughs> 
Yeah, and and I, I just love that you're doing this because I think you know so many people are under the misconception that oh I'm going to get a prosthetic for my my dog and it's going to be so easy I'm just going to put it on him in the morning and take it off at night and you know I my goal is to educate people so that they can make this decision knowing what's involved so I, I think this is this is so exciting um, I forget for our our feline members out there. Um, how come cats aren't included in the study, and do you anticipate in the future you might? Uh, well, so I think cats are very, very hard to, even when it comes to bandaging. Um, they mm-hmm. don't love wearing bandages. They they are much more fuzzy about this. So I think um, what we decided is let's start with dogs because I think we – we have a better chance of being successful in that. And when we answered all the questions in dogs, then let's move on to cats. Um, you know, it's just you got to pick your battles. If there's somebody that says, hey, I, I, want, to, I want you to research this in cats, absolutely, we're happy to do it. But, um, you know, we got to allocate our uh, funding to somewhere where we think we got the best chance of, of, of making a difference. And, you know, the bigger picture of this is that, as you know, there are a lot of people with, um, uh, prosthetics, uh, wounded warriors, all that, that um, there are a lot of questions. I spent some time with uh, human surgeons, and they, they do have a lot of questions on things that we can possibly answer by using dogs as a model. So basically, if we can uh, figure out what is the best way to deal with a nerve in dogs, so when you do this partial amputation, what should you be doing with the nerve so that it doesn't become a source of pain later on because it doesn't have the muscle attached to it anymore? If we can figure mm-hmm. that out in dogs, that will also be quite helpful for uh, our uh, counterparts in the human surgeons. And so that's where I think a lot of the funding uh, might be coming from in the future is Department of Defense, those type of funding sources that we're kind of trying to um, get into and, and obviously the, the the more successful the initial studies are the more likely we are to get that absolutely and and that is the thing I want to close with is I want to let everybody know I mean you have to get your money from somewhere this is this is a really expensive program that you're doing here I'm, I'm wondering can you give me a ballpark on what the cost is per dog do you have any idea like that you can throw out there or not yeah, I think the the amputation cost is around two thousand dollars, and then the prosthetic somewhere between a thousand fifteen hundred in that range, and then the wow. rehabilitation. Um, you know, it really depends on how often, but it's about you know depending on how long the sessions are, about hundred dollars per session. So, um, you know, the, it adds up quite a lot, um, and so that's mm-hmm. part of why. I think we need to figure out, well, exactly for which dog is this uh, a good idea because, you know, we, we do have a lot of owners inquiring about it. And if I would tell them, hey, this whole thing costs you $5,000 and you got a 95% uh, chance of this working, then I think a lot of people would say, okay, I, I'm, I'm happy to do that. But if you say, I don't know, mm-hmm. is it working? Then that's a different story, right? I think that's why so many right. dogs are ending up with an amputation because, you know, we do know that that um, – uh, is without a lot of complications, at least in the short term. Right, exactly. I mean, give me, give us a hard number so we can make a, a better informed decision for sure, because there's a lot of, of vagueness out there about, about all of this. We see it all the time at, at tripods. Um, so 
yeah, so I we are all about supporting studies like this, and and um, hey, if anybody out there wants to to donate to to CSU's, uh, you know, I, I think it's a great place to focus your money because you guys are doing amazing work there, and we really appreciate it. And you know, I, I'm thinking that like once you do a few of these studies, this could potentially change the direction that surgery goes um, when amputation is on the table, right? I mean, you could this could change the guidelines for this is where a, a leg needs to be amputated in order for a dog to live a, a successful life afterwards, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's kind of the, the, the bigger goal. And, and, you know, you actually just said that, and I, I didn't mention that before. The dogs that we enroll, uh, most often they have been recommended to receive a full amputation. That's kind of, you know, they have a cancer that has come back five times and the veterinarian says, hey, I think your dog should get a full amputation. And then that's where we say, hey, um, uh, you know, why don't we try this and see how it goes? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it, it will change how, how people talk about amputations, I think. I, I am really excited for that day because we see so many members who come to us and they've had, their dog has had a full amputation even though they had, you know, a problem that was only in the paw or the, the carpal area. And so it just... Um, it's very exciting to know that there's going to be more dogs out there with a, a better overall quality of life um, throughout their their lifetime. So thank you so much for, for doing this, and we're going to help get the word out. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. All right, Dr. Dory, you have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Yes, thank you very much for your time, Dr. Durr. We look forward to following the results of your study. Listeners can learn more about the work being done at CSU's Veterinary Teaching Hospital at tripods.com slash tag slash CSU. Until next time, join the discussion about amputation for dogs and cats and find many helpful resources at tripods.com. Until next time on Tripod Talk Radio, learn more about canine amputation recovery and find the best gear for three-legged dogs at tripods.com. tuning in. Subscribe to Tripod Talk Radio for more pet amputation tips from experts and claim your free gift just for listeners at downloads.tripods.com slash podcast.